Hey everyone, this amazing ESO Network show is brought to you by our fine sponsor, Amazon.com. Please remember to shop Amazon for all your geeky needs, no matter what time of the year it is. All you need to do is go to ESOPodcast.com slash ESO Amazon, or click on the Amazon banner on the ESO Network webpage to go to our e-store. It's the best way to shop and the best way to support this program, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Okay, that's enough of me babbling for now. Now on with your regular scheduled show. Welcome to the 42 cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. As always, I am your host, Nathan. Uh, so I feel a little bit embarrassed that I have to say this all the time, but this is another podcast episode that was recorded way back when I was first thinking about doing the podcast and I just wanted to have a few episodes recorded in advance so that I could release them in succession. And one of the things that I wanted to do is to talk about comic book adaptations. So um, we will make some dated references. It's not a very big part of the show, but I did think it was at least worth mentioning uh, here before uh, we get back to it. And uh, of course, the contest on the 42cast page that I announced last week is still going on. And that is the contest to decide what our topic will be uh, for the 13th episode. So uh, some people have already gone on our Facebook page, which is uh, www.facebook.com slash 42cast. And they've already cast their vote. But definitely, if you haven't yet, go on there, take a look at the topics, and just vote on one. Uh, Let us know what it is that you would like to hear. There's still time to change the results. So um, check that out. And we'll announce it in the next episode. So right now, though, we're going to go to the podcast episode already in progress. Hello and welcome to the 42 cast, the ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness and everything. Uh, As always, I am your host, Nathan, and I'm welcoming you to our sixth episode. Something uh, that I was thinking about uh, between uh, recording the last one and this one, though, is that I should probably explain that when people on the episodes are saying things like, I don't know when this is going to air, I should probably explain the behind the scenes of what's going on. So we're recording these episodes in preparation for the podcast going live. And uh, right now, uh, I have everything lined up as far as the music and everything else. The only thing I don't have yet is my website. Um, I do have a space reserved, and I'm getting it uh, formatted and up and running and everything. But I have someone working on a logo and web design, so... If some of the references we make are a little dated or uh, people will say things like, hey, I don't know when this is going to come out, that's the reason why that's happening, just to uh, kind of explain that to, to everyone who's listening. So it's good that you got to it in episode six. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. I gave a shout out to the composer for the music in episode four because I didn't, have, <laughs> I didn't have the theme song yet until episode four. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's a I, yeah. Can't you add like just a 
to the very first episode, just a thirty second. You know, you know, I, I would pro- I probably should just add it to the second because in the first one I go on oh. so long about the origins of the podcast and everything. I just feel like adding in like a shout out to the composer is probably you know. We all <laughs> know that much. no one likes origin stories. That's <laughs> true. Well, if I reboot the podcast like three times, then I think that really I should just skip the origin story and go straight into it because. Well, you know that the podcast name is Martha, so. Right. You know. <laughs> Oh, quick aside, quick aside. There was a meme that I saw that I just kind of chuckled at. You know, it was um, Aquaman says something like, my mom's name is Aqua Martha, and Bruce is like, oh, you're in the Justice League. But then someone pointed out to me, both their fathers are named Thomas. And I'm like, oh, God, they might actually include that then in the... (laughs) Shit, don't let anyone know that. start that. Your dad's name is Thomas. My dad's name is Thomas. Oh my god, guys. We just become best friends. What's going on? <laughs> Why did you say that name? <laughs> if you've seen the um, How It Should Have Ended for Batman v Superman, it's uh, kind of perfect with <laughs> with them sitting uh, at the coffee shop like they do Batman and Superman. And he talks, and Superman mentions Martha, and like Batman's just like, Why did you mention that name? Your mom's name is Martha. My mom's name is Martha. What could it mean? And it's just this whole thing. It's just perfect. But anyway. But those voices that you just heard should all be recognizable to you if you've been listening from the beginning, because for the first time, everyone is a returning guest uh, to the 42 cast. So I feel like we we've reached the second a, Hunger Games, right? We've reached a milestone where uh, you know we've been around long enough now that uh, we have uh, returning guests. So the first person I would like to introduce, uh, you might remember him as the guy who absolutely loathes Pluto. Um, <laughs> Not true. <laughs> he, he and I get into uh, lots of discussions on the internet about lots of topics that we disagree with but uh he's always uh very cordial and professional about it and so that's why we like to have him on and that is ryan how are you doing ryan i'm doing great and i will always tell you you are wrong with a smile on my face (laughs) that's right even when you're wrong you'll tell me that i'm wrong (laughs) is that on your business card because that would be kind of awesome (laughs) it should be (laughs) now my business card currently is just you know ryan guthrie you could do worse (laughs) <laughs> that's not bad <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so uh, uh anything uh new happened for you ryan since the last time you were on well i'm getting ready for dragon con and on the nerd front just dragon cons around the corner so everything's ramping up for that and uh that's really about it i've got to uh just really consider how much money i can spend if i really need to eat between now and the end of uh, the month so I have mm. something for the con. So, so are you really that like close to your budget that like if you does <laughs> if you just do one thing wrong, you won't be able to eat? Oh God, no! That that's that's a joke. Oh, okay. I, uh, <laughs> our, our tax return is our Dragon Con money. Oh yeah. So, you know, I've I've had this prepped since um January, but you you never know. Something could go wrong tomorrow. I could fall down the stairs or something like that. So I'm just being extra careful with everything. <laughs> no, no, I completely understand. I mean, having been to Dragon Con once, though, I I know that you kind of need like a second mortgage just to uh, pay to, to go to Dragon Con. So I completely understand uh, that sentiment. I, you know, I will neither confirm nor deny that we may have more people in our hotel room than we actually tell the hotel. Uh-huh. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
That's one way of getting around it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm actually going to uh, Wizard World Chicago just for Saturday this weekend. I'm going to finally meet Bruce Campbell. (laughs) He is hilarious. He's great. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. In October. (laughs) Yeah, I'm jealous of you. (laughs) (laughs) I saw him at uh, Phoenix Comic Con last year, and he basically spent his entire uh, Q&A panel insulting the audience, and it was the best thing ever. (laughs) (laughs) I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he's the only time, usually with guests, uh, you know, with with, uh, celebrities and whatnot, I will, uh, I just get autographs, because I'm like, why why do I want a picture of my ugly mug next to this person? I'll just get them to sign a picture of themselves, you know? But uh, with Bruce Campbell, that is enough of an event. That um, I feel like I need to have a commemorative picture uh, of the two of us together, so I'm I'm doing the photo op and autograph with him. Nice. Yep. This is historic. We must document it. That's right. <laughs> I'm like this. This this is a big deal. I'm I'm gonna get a picture of this. <laughs> well, now you just need to spend all your time between now and then figuring out what pose you're gonna do. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> I'm trying to think of being properly witty, but I'm sure anything that I think of has already been done by somebody before <laughs> me, so it's kind of it's kind of uh, depressing when I think about it. If you throw up on him, that's different. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it's been done. <laughs> Good Probably luck by children. I mean, grown adults. I mean, come <laughs> on. <laughs> oh man. Trying to help you out, <laughs> but uh, it's good. It's good to have you on again, Ryan. Thank you. Good to be here. So the other voice that you've been hearing that you might recognize is uh, the my bestie. Uh, she's also known as the Maniacal Geek and that girl with the curls. And that is Sam. How are you doing, Sam? I'm doing quite well, Nathan. That's like, great. better than I was a few days ago because as of the recording of this podcast, I was sick all last week. So. Oh yeah, I saw the posts about that. Yeah, I uh, lost my voice over the course of a couple of days, and then I went from the uh, there's that that in between period when you lose your voice to when you regain it. Where at one point you sound like a really sexy Lauren Bacall type, <laughs> and then there's the other one where it sounds like you smoked cigarettes like five packs a day for like 14 years. So, yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> you get your Terry Fisher voice going on. <laughs> yeah, it's like, why isn't my voice the sexy voice? Now it just sounds like I smoked cigarettes forever. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Uh, so, so, and before that, you've been doing, like, a lot of traveling, too. Yeah, no, the, I know. I traveled, I think, a lot more for work and for other things in terms of, yeah. Because for work, I went to Dallas and uh, technically Atlanta. I was on a panel for an archivist conference. And, yeah, and then I went to uh, the Chicago, not Chicago area, but the Champaign-Urbana area in Illinois for uh, one of my best friend's weddings. So, yes, I have done many plane trips. <laughs> So are you back home now and you're not, uh, you don't have anything else planned or, or are you still going to travel somewhere? Uh, the only thing I think I'm going to be doing is Rose City Comic Con, uh, but I only can go for a day because the day before that is my cousin's wedding. So. <laughs> oh, you don't ditch that to go to a Comic Con? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not that kind of gal. So. <laughs> I'm going to make the most of my Sunday though when that comes up. <laughs> it's going to yeah. be a long day. <laughs> And it's something you can always hold over their head, too. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm missing a comic book convention for you. 
Yeah, I, I missed a, uh, a panel discussion with Neil deGrasse Tyson, Bill Nye, and uh, Richard Dawkins and Lawrence Krauss to go to my sister's wedding, and I've never let her forget it. I'm sure she really appreciates it when you bring it up, too. Yeah, I think some families might not appreciate the sacrifice when you bring up something like that. <laughs> that martyr complex is really just... It's keeping you out of a lot of family invites. It might. Well, then it's a win-win. I suppose, yeah. Oh, man. Well, uh, it's good to have you back on, Sam. Yay, good to be back. And uh, the the third person that we have on is another person that is returning. Uh, he was on our Batman episode where we talked about the uh, the Keaton Tim Burton movies, and that is Will. How are you doing, Will? Hey, I'm doing well, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing good, thanks. All right. Uh, um, just so that people know, uh, the reason why Will's uh, voice may have changed from when you heard him earlier is because he had to switch his equipment because Skype is being evil. Skype is evil. <laughs> uh, so, Will, has anything uh, you know new and exciting happened for you since the last time you were on? Uh, not really. Just kind of working and living. You know, went to uh, an event here at the local Knoxville Zoo called Feast with the Beasts last weekend, which was fun. Uh, it's, did I'm did not you sure get to eat it. any of the animals from the zoo? Well, that was, I mean, that's a bit of a misnomer on the title. You know, you didn't get to, like, pick out your own bear and cook it. Uh, it's a rare right. Bengal tiger for you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Let's see. I'll take that endangered bear, please. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you have to donate bear. a lot. For, for right. Yeah. Exactly. You got to become, like, a lifelong sponsor. No, it's uh, one of those things where, like, you know, like a bunch of restaurants show up and, you know, feed you and feed you food and drink and whatnot. So it was a big fundraiser for the zoo. That was fun. Basically, just big zoo-wide buffet, you know, get drunk and get full. So that was exciting. Unfortunately, all the animals were locked up, so you couldn't, like, throw chicken wings at them or anything, oh. you know. <laughs> I just figured uh, they were flickering you up, and then you just fall into the cages or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's so exciting. Lions and drunk people. That's got to be a good combination. Yeah, it's, right. It saves a ton of money for the zoo on their feeding bills. Exactly. Why are the tigers eating so and green? I don't understand. What's going on? Uh, but beyond that, you know, just getting geared up for Dragon Con as well. And two weeks away, man. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I, I will say last year was the, the year I could afford to go to Dragon Con. And um, Will, Will was really great. He uh, uh, recognized me, I guess, by my voice and just kind of uh, sat with me and we talked for a while and stuff. So it was really good meeting you, Will, uh, in person because uh, we've actually known each other for, I don't know, two or three years online. Oh, yeah. Kind of cool about Dragon Con is that now it's like a uh, almost like a yearly reunion of people that I only know through Dragon Con, you know. So. <laughs> right. Hey, how you been? You know, past year or so. So, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I, I will make it back one day. I'm not sure if that's next year or the year after, but uh, this year I neither had the time off from work nor could I really afford it. So it's kind of the, the double uh, attack there. So hopefully next year I'll be well, back. Well, you know, I can dig it. Life happens, you know, but Dragon Con will always be there. So. Right. <laughs> I don't think it's going away anytime well, soon. Well, yeah, I mean, that <laughs> spectacle just can't be beat by anything. So that's right. why I really it's want to get back. It has now gained sentience. It's now, you know, it's all an evolving life form. I mean, you can't, you can't stop it. It's like the big blob from the end of Akira. You know, it's just getting bigger <laughs> well, and bigger, and you can't stop it. You know, throw out a Dragon Con plug. They announced yesterday that they're going to do a streaming Dragon Con TV service for like That's $10. Right. Yeah, so, you know, how do you beat that? What other con does that? Right. So yeah. if, if you're not at a host hotel, you can watch it via, the, I guess it's the web. 
yeah. for like for the next three months after the con's over. So that's pretty awesome. Oh, that's nice. Of course, when you hear this, Dragon Con will have already been over, and but hopefully those that three months won't be. So, you know. right, exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> right. God, if we're if we're out in like November, December, and the show hasn't come out yet, then it's probably <laughs> never going to because. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> well, then I feel like I really devoted my time to like, something worthwhile. <laughs> Return on investment, baby. Look at it. No, I have someone actively working on the logo. We will go live soon. This is not this is not three months. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> well, it was, it's great having you back on, Will. Thanks for coming Thank on. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. It's good to be back on. All right. And uh, so right now, we're going to go to uh, the favorite, I hope, by now for everybody uh, of, of our show, which is five questions. <laughs> which if you're joining us for the first time, that is where... I uh, came up with a bunch of questions, people sent me in questions, and I just threw them into a big spreadsheet, and I just randomly crank out five of these questions to ask the guests that are on that particular episode, just to kind of get, I I guess it really doesn't prove anything, because sometimes they're all very similar. Sam was just on one where it was a bunch of 80s questions, and a bunch of people were just like, I don't know what that is. (laughs) I I was one of those people, he said. (laughs) I think you're just trying to start fights myself. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think part of being a nerd is also owning up to when you don't know what other fandoms are. Right. <laughs> and when you don't know, judge it harshly. Right, yes. exactly. <laughs> but, uh, All yeah. we're good at. <laughs> the purpose is really to uh, kind of ease us into talking about stuff and uh, also to uh, hopefully uh, give everyone just a little bit of a window into just facts about us. I mean, most of these questions are geeky, but a few of them aren't, and they're just sort of general questions. So we, we are going to go uh, right into it. So the first question, Better Robin, Dick Grayson or Tim Drake? Better Robin, Tim Drake, but uh, as Nightwing, uh, you know, Dick Grayson every day. Yeah, but is that really fair? Because their ages... Shut are... up, it's fair. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's judging harshly. He's judging harshly. <laughs> Already starting, man. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying, their age difference by the time he becomes Nightwing is such that, you know, maybe Tim Drake becomes a badass when he, you know, gets older. When he becomes Red Robin, you mean? (laughs) (laughs) Because that's a big difference. (laughs) The Red Robin. (laughs) It's like, did they not know there was a restaurant chain or is that supposed to be a tie-in? I don't know. It, I feel like in within the like if you were to imagine this was all a reality like kind of situation or whatever it's like I would think that Tim Drake just going like okay fine I won't be Robin I'll be Red Robin and everyone's just like what <laughs> well that's, that's supposed Tim's, to be uh, the smart one <laughs> that's Tim's backup plan in case superheroing doesn't work out he's got his fallback. Yeah, there we oh, go. Really knows how to make a good burger. Yeah, because right. every time I hear Red Robin, I have that jingle. Red Robin. Oh, <laughs> Bottomless fries. Yeah. <laughs> but t- to be fair, I think Dick Grayson, he was Robin, like, you know, in the 70s and prior to that. So that was a different, even, even different, different style of writing. And mm. that's how he's always going to be. He's always going to be almost, you know, Burt Ward. Robin, uh, <laughs> yeah. In, in a sense, oh, whereas no. Tim Drake, he is the one who found out Batman's secret identity on his own. So that's always going to make him cooler. Okay, Sam, what do you say? 
Uh, I, I kind of agree with, with Ryan in terms of that Tim is the better Robin because uh, in terms of like if, if you're looking oh wait a second hmm I'm thinking here for you know because Robin uh, Robin isn't necessarily supposed to be a detective that's Batman's deal mm-hmm. uh, so Tim is actually a better he's the best detective of the, of the myriad Robins <laughs> that have graced Wayne Manor the Legion <laughs> of Infinite Robins exactly uh, Tim Bye-bye. has always Tim has always been the the most likely successor to Bruce in terms of mentality and all that kind of stuff. But Dick Grayson as Robin uh, defined what kind of what Robin's role was, you know, was supposed to be going forward in that he's a contrast to Batman. Um, They they explained that, you know, um, Dick's Dick's whole thing was that he's the lighthearted, smiling one to kind of offset, you know, people when, you know, they're around Batman. So... I think in terms of actual Robins and what the, you know, kind of what the Robin role started off as and kind of has evolved into, I still think Dick is the best Robin. Holy rusted metal, Batman. No, oh, that doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> that movie. <laughs> We're going to talk about it one day. As painful as it is. No, we won't. <laughs> All right, the blood roll out of my ears. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, maybe you should drink a little bit before we do it. Well, I will be drinking a lot. There you go. We'll, we'll have to drink a lot. That'll be a whole bottle of whiskey and me trying to just get through it. <laughs> so what? So what is, what's the barometer there? Like one bottle for Batman Forever? How many bottles for Batman? Are- there aren't enough bottles in the world. <laughs> just start drinking now. Yes. <laughs> Maybe you'll have caught up by the time we watch it. Well, okay, now I'm curious, even though we're getting kind of in the weeds here, is the level higher for Batman v Superman and Man of Steel or lower? It's a different type of wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but I'm talking about pure drinking, like how much drinking you have oh. to do. Oh. I mean, yeah, if you I, turned it I, into a drinking game... You'd be dead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think Batman and I think Batman v Superman and Batman uh, was it Batman and Robin are about the same in terms of just complete you know just moron verse like, everyone's doing something but you'd have no idea why they're doing anything and nothing makes sense that's both of those movies oh we have so succeeded in creating judgment here <laughs> Well, that, that all being said, you'd probably still have to space the conversations out because that's too much liver abuse for any one person. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. I oh, mean, yeah. your liver would literally curl out of your body and beat you upside the head. Oh, you, know, yeah. you would have to find a family member to donate part of the liver while you're watching the movie, and the doctor will have to perform surgery while you're still drinking in order for you to survive. <laughs> this viewing brought to you by... <laughs> right. we'll, we'll bring you down with some Batman 66, Sam. <laughs> All right, so Will, what do you say? That's Robin. Ooh, tiebreaker. I gotta go with. Uh, I gotta go with Tim. I gotta side with Ryan. Just because, from from my experience growing up reading Batman comics, I wasn't. I, you know, I had more experience with Tim than I did with Dick. So to me, Dick Bork came into his own as a hero uh, and his own superhero when he became Nightwing. Like he got out of the shadow of, of the bat, no pun intended. So he became more of his own person when he became Nightwing, whereas Tim was, uh, to me, he was more identifiable, more relatable, just straight out the gate. 
as being Robin. See, that's really interesting because for me, and, and I am so informed by Batman the Animated Series, and that is sort of my primary in for the Batman universe, Dick is definitely my favorite based on that. Because uh, so many of my favorite episodes were episodes where they had Dick. You know, they've got Robin's Reckoning, you've got the Demon's Head, you've got all these different stories with Robin. I mean, some of them weren't Robin-centric, but Robin was always there. And he just seemed the more capable Robin. He seemed to have his own point of view. And, And I get it. I mean, when he became Nightwing, even in the animated series, he becomes Nightwing. You know, there's an extra dimension there. I love the whole father-son thing going on with him and Bruce. That's an extension of when he was uh, Robin. And the whole thing of how they're kind of the same, but they neither can acknowledge that they're kind of the same. And the conflict that that you know, creates between the two of them. Whereas Tim was just kind of like, you know, a snot-nosed kid. And it's probably doing him a disservice in the animated series because he didn't, I feel like, have a lot of development. But for me, because of that, Dick is the better Robin. I was just going to say that I, I think Dick Grayson is probably the most emotionally and mentally stable member of the entire Bat family. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, by a long shot. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> But that's where some good drama comes from with the Tim stories is because he's a little, just a screwed up little kid. You know, that's where you can tell some good stories with him. Well, and it's one of those things, like, especially because with the animated series, especially as as I've gotten older and become more, like, invested in the comic book versions of a lot of these characters as well. Because like like Nathan, the the cartoon was my my first in with uh, with that universe and with that world. It becomes very clear that, you know, in the adaptation process for them, they kind I mean, you know, Tim was an amalgamation of Tim Drake and Jason Todd's backstories. Mm-hmm. And, and then once they get to the growing up of Nightwing, that's a version that it was told in a specific era of the comics. But if you kind of move out from that, you know, Dick... Dick and, and Bruce have their arguments, but it really boils down to that Tim is the most well-adjusted. And, not Tim. Uh, Dick is the most well-adjusted in that he's actively trying to not be Batman. <laughs> like, but so when he does like put on the cape and cowl in Grant Morrison's run, it has so much more weight to it, and he was actually pretty awesome Batman. So, hmm. yeah. Cool. Well, I still consider Dick the heir apparent to Batman. Well, he was the first one. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even though I think Tim Drake is, was the better Robin, I still think Dick would make the better Batman. Strange as that may sound. And he was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I won't I won't even ask about Azrael, but you know. No one cares about Azrael. No. <laughs> 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 we'll move on to our next question. Better social media platform, Facebook or Twitter? My <laughs> <laughs> Okay, the way I see it is Facebook is all about your friends and Twitter is all about you. Uh, so I'm going to pick Facebook. Oh, I'm surprised. I thought when you prefaced it that way, you are going to go Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, on Facebook, I see all my friends in one sitting. And yeah. Twitter, I just throw my thoughts out there. And maybe I go find my friend's thoughts. Maybe I don't. You know, it's like, kind of like shouting into a void. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sam? Um, I'm going to go with Twitter, actually. Uh, aside from the rampant abuse that happens on uh, on the, the site itself, mm. Twitter is actually much better in terms of um, promoting stuff. Uh, if you're like 
Nathan or myself and we have platforms that we need to utilize to uh, to get our podcasts, our articles and all that kind of stuff. Twitter reaches the most, maybe Tumblr, but that's not an option right now. And uh, and also in terms of like political uh, events that have been happening lately and in the past, it's a much more live, uh, real-time uh, social platform. So uh, I, I think Twitter is much more suitable than Facebook. Hmm. Well, hmm. another tiebreaker. <laughs> well, I have successfully made like three tweets in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, even though I have a Twitter account, and it's one of those where I'm like, yeah, I'll get to it, and then just never bothered with it. So for that reason, I'm going to go with Facebook. However, I do agree that Twitter seems to be a bit more controllable when it comes to the rants and raves, you know, because, you know, this past, I don't know, six, seven months, I've been on Facebook a lot less. See, because, you know, it, it seems like, you know, with all the political stuff going on and the, the way the world's kind of going crazy uh it's easier it seems like easier for people to rant and rave on facebook than it is twitter um i might be wrong there but it seems like that way to me but as far as getting in touch with your family and friends and getting in touch and staying in touch and making plans and whatnot it seems like it's easier to do so over facebook okay so your answer what well, i was a little unclear because you kind of like right. talked them both up yeah i kind of i kind of went on a bit, a bit of a tangent uh i'm going with facebook okay yeah, I was actually wondering why you had been on Facebook so much less, but that uh, kind of makes sense. Yeah, you just get tired of the negativity. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I can understand. Uh, for me, it boils down to the fact that I have the hardest time, like, boiling down what I want to say into, like, 140 characters. Uh, so Twitter frustrates me in a way that uh, Facebook does not, because I can just, you know, type whatever I feel like. So, yeah, posting links and stuff to, like, oh, I was on this podcast or whatever, that's great for Twitter. But uh, I also find it frustrating on Twitter because I like Facebook. I can read what my friends are saying. On Twitter, it's like there is just such an explosion of tweets. You know, thousands and thousands of tweets that I, I'm just like, I just get so disheartened looking at that mess. I, I'll look at whatever's on the screen and it's like, do I really want to scroll down? Nah. <laughs> you know, so. I, I will say nothing hurts me more than when I'm tweeting something and I'm 141 characters. And I, I, the only thing I can change is to, to maybe insert a mis, a deliberate misspelling or some bad grammar. <laughs> right, and yes. I have to do it, but it kills me a little inside every time I do. It's great when that extra character is a period. And you're just like, yeah. oh, I'll just send it out without the period. But yeah, even that hurts me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, adorable. I have to use the wrong your curses. <laughs> oh God, it's sad, but it's true. <laughs> All right, uh, next question. Oh, here's a nice general one. <clears throat> Which is better, vanilla or chocolate? <laughs> Ooh, uh, depends on in what. But uh, vanilla is way more popular. It outsells chocolate all the time. Really? But I'm going to go chocolate. Okay. I, I see, and I know me not knowing the sale numbers of ice cream, cake, or whatever, I would have thought chocolate was the more popular flavor myself, but... Eh. I think they use vanilla in other stuff, so... Oh, okay, fair enough. It's a blank slate for whatever. <laughs> yeah. So so what say you, Sam? Oh, I'm gonna go with chocolate, like, hands down. <laughs> well... Yeah, but, gotta give me, give, me, give me that chocolate, man. Uh, totally. I, I'm the minority report. I prefer vanilla. <laughs> you <If> I, would. <laughs> <laughs> when, when I have the choice of the well, actually, it, 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 to, to be fair, if I have the choice of the vanilla chocolate swirl, I'll go with that. But uh, if I then you're just making chocolate. That's what it ends up being. <laughs> <laughs> but, Nobody wants strawberry. 
Yeah, <laughs> if I, but uh, between chocolate and vanilla, I always pick vanilla. Alright, uh, next question. Ah. Scarier apocalypse. Alien invasion or rise of the machines? Uh, alien, I'm sorry, rise of the machines, definitely. Because it's our own creation. The aliens, that could be, maybe they could be reasoned with, maybe a cold will kill them, you know, or a crappy Facebook virus or something. Or but, Tom Cruise. Um, yeah, yeah I, I think Skynet probably has a better better malware than aliens do. Mm. Sam? I'm going to go alien apocalypse because if they're coming to our planet, I mean, assuming they're not M. Night Shyamalan aliens and are idiots, because um, they come to a planet that's 75% of yes. them can kill them. Um, <laughs> I, I assume the aliens would have planned ahead, so their resources are going to be a lot more infinite than robots, who we would at least have the luxury of having created and maybe have a chance of destroying. So, there you go. Yeah, yeah you have to wonder in signs, like, you know, them just strutting around with no kind of protection or anything. Like, what happens when it rains? It's like, death is raining from the sky! But that's the thing, like, there's moisture in the air no matter what, so they would just automatically start burning. <laughs> Don't don't think about it, and especially considering what we're going to discuss tonight. Don't start poking holes here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> logic. What's that? I will poke so many holes in an M Night Shyamalan movie, and it's self-righteous, pretentious asses. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Um, yeah, I'll defend the village to my dying day. Uh, oh, we are going to uh, oh. fight that. Uh, that it's a whole, that's another podcast, guys. It's another episode. Coming uh, up next week on the Forty Two Cast. Yeah, I, I mean, it's certainly one to do. Um, I'll actually Nerd defend. A- I'll actually defend After Earth, which I know nobody's going to back me up on. Oh so. my god, why? Because <laughs> I enjoyed it. Why? And by that by that point, I'd already broken up with him. That I had to get out. Of- I had to get out of that abusive relationship. I couldn't do it anymore. I think Nathan, this changes the nature of our relationship now. I don't. I don't know if I can do this anymore. <laughs> it's. It's not like he's defending Last Avatar. There's still a chance to save him here. Don't worry. But see, I won't defend the village. That's for sure. Or Lady in the Water. But anyway. Oh, good. Thank you. I hate Lady in the Water so much. <laughs> but I love Unbreakable. Yeah. Oh no, that's Unbreakable that's actually classic. my favorite. Oh, okay, good. All right, so uh, Will, now that we've gone way off topic here, yeah. what the hell? What are we talking about? Oh yeah, Alien Invasion or Rise of the Machines? Uh, definitely Machines. Uh, for me anyway, because it's like we will have done this to ourselves. You know, it's like they're like my iPhone is under the radar, like posing as something that's making my life so much simpler and so much better, but it has all my information. Like everything about me is embedded in this phone, and eventually. I know eventually this phone will wake up one morning and decide to turn against me. And when it does, it will be me because it has all my pertinent personal information, my banking information, my credit card, you name it, dude. It's all in there in that phone. So it will be a matter of when the machines become sentient and decide to take over, it will be like we won't even see it coming because we will have created the platform for them to take over from. And we're just, we'll just be done. Just good night. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is that the AI, they're actually cats. <laughs> well, right. They're plotting yeah, to kill yeah, us while we sleep. <laughs> right, except except robots don't need litter, so That's you true. can't stop them. 
Right. <laughs> so it basically just boils down to a Rod Serling script where it's like, turns out we were our own worst enemy. Bum, bum, bum. Credit. Picture of battle. Yeah. <laughs> Think about it for a second. With aliens, we have a chance to make a new first impression. By the moment we hit create artificial intelligence, the first two things we're going to teach the machines are sex and war. And so that's what they're going to know of us. So I'd kill us too. We already taught it how to do that. There was that one AI that went on, like, it examined social media and then turned into, like, a racist asshole. Right. <laughs> we've already done it and we yeah. stopped it. So we, we win. Right. <laughs> or did we? This time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, somebody's going to just turn it on and not stop it. <laughs> yeah, there we go. But, uh, yeah, I have to say, I go with machines, too. And, of course, it is a little fluid, um, because, you know, I'm assuming the aliens are organic, but I suppose you could have robotic aliens, too, which, you know, kind of muddles the waters a little bit. But to me, it's more of the idea of... You know, something organic, it has, uh, you know, it has limitations, it has finite abilities, whereas machines, you know, are far more precise and, uh, you know, are far more uh, deadly to deal with. And so I would be a lot more afraid of some sort of uh, machine uprising than I would be of an alien race. And I mean, dig it. We're already pretty much there anyway, because, I mean, can you survive without your cell phone? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, the dependency is a whole other factor, but yeah, right. no, I, I understand. I mean, just about any sort of post-apocalyptic scenario, though, you have to do without. The extra level here is that the machines that you used to love are, are trying to kill you. So, right. Yeah. Well, we know that they're terrible at time travel, so yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, 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 the t- Terminator Genesis taught us that they're not very good with time travel. Every Terminator movie told us that they're terrible at time travel. They can't kill one guy, no matter what they do. Not from lack of trial. Yeah. Uh, not to go off for effort. I mean, <laughs> you know, not to go off on the tangent there, but uh, Terminator Genesis—that uh, kind of, I think, proves the point. Though, um, the, the one of the few redeeming factors that movie had was when Skynet makes the point of all it's ever known in, in its entire existence is people coming back to try and kill it. So, of course it tried to kill the humans because the humans were trying to kill it. The humans fired the first shot as far as Skynet was concerned. Yeah. Point. Yeah. Yeah. Same yeah. thing with the Matrix as well. More like a chicken-egg scenario. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's move right along here before we start talking about the Matrix and the Terminator franchise. Uh, Alright. Um, I don't even know who told me to put this one in here, but this one definitely wasn't mine. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be great. You already disavowed disclaim me. I'm gonna disclaim this one because it's so obvious. Whiny or punk? Anakin or Luke? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, he's thinking about it. Uh, well, I mean, it just, just for sheer, sheer. Okay, I'm gonna rule out uh, Episode One, Anakin, because we never saw Luke at that same age. Oh, sure, sure. So, yeah, that's fair. I'm just talking about you know Haydenson uh, versus um, Hamill, yeah. and I'm still gonna go with Anakin. But even though I think he was whinier, I think he uh, probably had it... He could justify it more. You know, he had a harder life than Luke. I don't know. His uncle wouldn't let him go with his friends off to the Imperial <laughs> Academy. That, that's pretty hard. Look, being a moisture farmer is difficult. <laughs> All he wanted was some power converters. <laughs> let him go to Tachi Station, okay? Right. Uncle Owen just doesn't understand me. <laughs> you take this blue milk and you cram and I'm out of here. <laughs> How different would the franchise have been if Luke had gone to the academy? You know? Oh, I mean, that that yeah, I, I yeah that that 
it always fascinates me because as a kid, you know, you don't even think about it, but the Academy is an imperial institution. That's what he's talking about doing. Now, it seems though they were recruiting liberally because his friends went, went off to the Academy or then off on, uh, on Yavin 4. So, you know, he might have still ended up, you know, uh, fighting in the X-Wing. Hey, they explained that in the deleted scenes for, uh, for episode 4. I but uh, <laughs> did <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, if you ever like, they're on YouTube. But some of the scenes that didn't footage that was filmed that didn't make it. Oh, even it, in the expanded. Yeah, even in the expanded oh, has okay. uh, has Luke's friend whose name escapes me at the moment. Binks? And Luke Binks, yeah, they're talking about Binks, you know, ditching the academy. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so uh, Sam, who who's the whinier punk? Oh, it's Anakin, like hands down. Oh, right. <laughs> I mean, the, the the thing is with Luke, at least you you have. He's whiny in A New Hope, but for good reason, because he's, you know, they're following that the hero's journey trope. So by the next movie, he's a much more mature guy and he's learning. Anakin never seems to mature past the, I don't like sand. (laughs) 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 Obi-Wan doesn't understand me. (laughs) He's holding me back. But hey, apparently that's what women find attractive. So I guess some women—it's working for him. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I question Padme's uh, ability to judge anything after that. <laughs> right, I know. It's, like, it's probably how did she even get elected queen anyway. Uh, right, I don't understand how government works on Naboo. So right. let's just not. <laughs> Her constituency are all gungans. <laughs> We're so good at making decisions. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, all we know of Nebu is it's given us Palpatine and Padme. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and one Great. other character who wasn't human who we won't mention. So, yeah. Who <laughs> was instrumental in, ta- in, in, in like putting the Empire in power. So, thanks, Jar Jar. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, screw Nebu. I think that should have been the first to go. <laughs> that should be a bumper yeah. sticker. He's not going to test it on Alderaan. They're going to test the Death Star on him. Yeah. Where's the Death Star? Do you really need it? I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Will, who's the one here, punk? Again, move on. Right. I mean, it's, 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 I mean Luke, was, Luke was just trying to get out of the situation that he was stuck in. Anakin came off like a spoiled brat who didn't appreciate what he had. Well, yeah, because, I mean, you even look at A New Hope. He's whiny when he's at home with his parents, but a lot of teenagers are, you know. They're not letting him go out with his, you know, do, you know, go do the things that his friends are doing. You know, he's stuck working all day, not having any fun. You know, most kids are kind of whiny in that situation. It's, that you know, even by the, you know, the halfway point when he's on the Millennium Falcon, he's not really whining about stuff. You know, right. he's 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 kind of moving to a different. I mean, he's also grieving, and so he's kind of in a dark place. But when Anakin grieves, he whines. You know, and his right. mom dies. It's it's more whining. So. I mean, yeah. sure, you know, your mom getting messed up by some Tuscan Raiders is a pretty bad situation. But yeah. I mean, look at, I mean, Anakin. He's like, he's got the ultimate life. He's getting trained on how to be a Jedi. All his room and board is like set up. No rent. No worry about a job. He's like this intergalactic monk. You know, uh, he's set for life, dude. He doesn't have to worry. You know, all his all his worries are taken care of. All he has to worry about is, you know, deflecting these laser bolts and keeping the peace. But no, what does he do? Uh, he's sad. Obi Wan, he sucks. So sad. They're so mean to me. God, leave me alone. I want to. I want to lead the Jedi forces. That makes it intoxicating. She makes me feel funny. <laughs> 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 
You know, everything would probably be solved in the Jedi Order if they just let them have sex. I mean, come on. Yeah, J- that, that, that's what they should do. One year, one night a year in the Jedi Order have like consensual night, you know? Find you like a local, have, have, have a good night. I mean, call it good. Conjugal night. There you go. That's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> Find you Conjugal. Conjugal. You know, have your way with them. Be done with it. Get it out of your system. And then back to Monk City, you know? They should just do like the Amish and they give them like a run springer kind of thing where it's like, all right, guys, so you can come back or you can stay out there. You pick. There you go. There you go. Anakin. Anakin, you got two weeks, man. Go smoke everything you can find. Go shoot up. Go find some some prostitutes down the lower levels. I mean, just have at it. We'll see you in two okay. weeks. You all say this, but think of the two Jedi that we know of who didn't follow these rules. Anakin becomes Vader, and Luke was wanted to bang his sister. So maybe there's a reason for some of it. I will say this, even though I don't want to talk about the prequels for much longer. Um, to me, it always seemed like a forced decision that Lucas put in there just to give Anakin a reason to whine that Jedi can't, you know, have love. You know, it it seemed like it made no sense at all. Uh, You know, it was just sort of this thing that he just sort of added to the mythology of the show, or the movies, when there were so many better motivations. I still think the hinting of Palpatine whispering in his ear that she was cheating on him with Obi-Wan would have been all the motivation that was needed for him to go dark side. But instead, they had to do this weird Greek tragedy thing. They had to do the whole Jedi don't like you because you're in love and love is bad. So, you know, kind of make the Jedi kind of like, you know, uh, negative in a way as well to give him some justification. It was just, it was weird and it didn't make sense. And it was just like, yeah. ugh. Yeah, well, yeah. The way they painted that out, I wanted to be a Sith. I mean, forget the Jedi. Right, yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I can't get laid? Right. Dude, bring on the dark side. Come on. <laughs> Lucas knew how to write the Jedi as a legend, but not as a, a real live political entity. Yeah. And it showed. Yeah. <laughs> well, I won't muddy the waters further by bringing up Kylo Ren. But anyway. <laughs> Thank you all for uh, for, for the five questions. Um, And uh, now we're going to take a quick break as we play this promo from uh, another show. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Cornflake. So we host the Flopcast. We cover nerd and geek subjects of all types, but this is sort of a sillier, goofier side of geekdom, I'd say. We love to talk about music, especially funny music. We talk about comic books, conventions. Saturday morning cartoons! Oh yeah. I'd say if you're going to put the Flopcast in Brady Bunch terms, we're like the cousin Oliver of podcasting. (laughs) And we do a ridiculous new Flopcast episode every week. What is wrong with us? We really have nothing else to do. (laughs) We're part of the Earth Station One Podcast Network. And you can find us at Flopcast.net.
And we're back. So this week uh, is one of those weeks when we're going to talk about a comic book adaptation. This time, uh, Sam was the one who did the pick, and we're going to talk about Snowpiercer. Yeah! (laughs) For those of you who have never heard of Snowpiercer, it is a French comic book. And it was adapted. It was adapted by a Korean company into a film that has a bunch of Hollywood stars. So it has kind of a weird lineage there. So what I'd want to do, since uh, this was one that Sam suggested, is to turn it over to her. And first of all, Sam, I wanted to know uh, whether you read the comic or saw the movie first, and also why you wanted to talk about this series. Um. Well, I've I've, I've read I've read it and I watched the movie. Um. I'd seen the movie first. Because it was, it had a weird, not only does it have a weird lineage in terms of how it was, uh, you know, uh, adapted and then distributed to American audiences, but yeah, it also, it, it, it it's just a, it's a fascinating story that I think uh, when you look at it through like the lens of both Eastern and Western film is just it, it, it's a really interesting like mishmash of culture, which I find really fascinating and I love about comic books in general. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, it took a while for it to get to the States. It was filmed, I think, in between when... Cause, so Chris Evans is the main character. It was filmed between Avengers movies, basically. Hmm. Which is why, uh, you know, a little, little note for everybody. Um, at the end of Avengers, when they're doing the shawarma scene, they had filmed that, like, post... In, during post-production. And the reason that Chris Evans is hiding his face is because he had a beard that he the that was what he was filming Snowpiercer at the time. So <laughs> wow. that's why he's covering his face. <laughs> so little factoid for you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so once I finally saw the movie uh, and uh, the Weinstein's, fr- you know, the company that distributed it finally like let it go out into the world without cutting twenty minutes of it, which was what they'd planned to do. I then uh, around the same time they'd actually released the two volumes of Snowpiercer. There, it's a the first volume is Escape, which is what the movie is mostly based off of, and then there's a second one, which the name is escaping me right now, but it's not important. So <laughs> there we go. <laughs> well, yeah, it's kind of funny. I mean, after having read the comic and then watching the movie, I can tell why you were like, you know, the comic isn't really that important because while it is an adaptation, it is an incredibly loose adaptation. I mean, beyond the concept, not a lot from the comic re- is in the movie. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's inspired it's, by a situation. Yeah, I'm, right. exactly. And I can see why. I mean, there's there are some decisions I don't understand why they took away entirely, but then... Um, the linearness of the story is, I think, really important to what uh, the director, uh, Bong Joon-ho, is trying to get across. So it, so if you want to know about this lineage, first of all, like you said, Nathan, it's a French graphic novel that was adapted by a Korean filmmaker and a, an English uh, or an American screenwriter, and then starring a multicultural cast of characters. Yeah. <laughs> It's an amazing thing, and I think that's pretty much the reason why I wanted to do it. It's it's a uh, it was one of my favorite movies of I think it was what 20, 2014, 2015 when that came out. IMDb yeah. says thir- 2013. 2014. Um, it was one of my favorite movies. I you know stylistically it was different, um, and uh, it was just it was just kind of like one of those oddball movies that turned out to be like really awesome and really cool. And uh, yeah, so that, that's pretty much why I picked it. It was, didn't okay. have much of a, <laughs> didn't have an agenda behind it. I just no, 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 no. I, I'm sorry if I phrased that a little, you know, uh, it, that way to make it seem that way. I was just, 
trying to see like what you know so you were talking about you know it's the mishmash of cultures and stuff like that uh, you know is what interested you about it it's it's also like a, it's um not only the graphic novel but the movie itself is highly political i mean it's not mm. uh, one of the things that i actually do enjoy about it is that it's not subtle like it's it's doing the work of good sci-fi where it's like exposing a thing in society and it's saying like hey we gotta not do this anymore get off the the stupid train guys like stop it right <laughs> so I, I like that it's not subtle i like that it's really over the top and i think the performances are fantastic you know throughout the entire movie so yeah it's just an I, for me it's an overall enjoyable movie although i will say though if you extend that metaphor uh getting off the train uh is not necessarily a good thing because <laughs> then you're all going to die so I'm well not... it depends on which which thing are you looking at because the movie indicates that survival is possible outside of the train the snow is starting to melt that there's a polar bear even though everyone says that all life was destroyed and right you know. no i'm just saying that two people on their own are going to die regardless of whether or not the temperatures are not as harsh as they used to be but well, sure. i mean you don't <laughs> no know no resources and <laughs> everyone's gonna die come on well, <laughs> yeah. uh, sooner or later guys i mean <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so Ryan, uh, what was your overall impression of the movie? I caught the movie kind of by accident. It was they were airing it on HBO or, or Showtime or something like that, and I every I'd, I'd heard I'd not seen any promotion for it, but through you know the nerd network, I just heard great word of mouth about it. And it's one of those movies there. When it came out of the theaters, I was like, oh, oh yeah, I should go see that, but I'd rather see this. So I never saw it in the theaters, and then flipping through the channels, it was five minutes into it, and I thought, and I, you know, I should have been in bed, but because it's like one a.m. But you know what? I'm gonna go ahead and check it out, and I watched it, and even because I'd missed that the first five minutes, the rest of the movie was so good that I later went onto Netflix like a day or three later and rewatched the whole thing just so I could see that first five minutes. Didn't matter, but and, uh, but it was still worth it, and I got to drag my wife along to see it with me, and she she loved it as well. I can see very much why this would be attractive to to a studio, to producers to make. It's it's all enclosed sets. The, all the effects are practical. There's not really any CG involved, so it had to be cheap, uh, cheap to make. There couldn't have been much involved to it. But I think, and this is something that occurred to me just now as I, as I was listening to everyone else talk in our current culture, in our current in, in the fair that's out there. You know, there's a glut of kind of young adult you know, dystopian, post-apocalyptic storytelling, and they're all pretty much exactly the same. This was original. This was, you've got your post-apocalypse, but let's, hey, let's do it on a train. <laughs> How is that not going to be crazy? Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> the train is such a, it's such a great metaphor. Like, the, the whole thing, I mean, even in the graphic novel, it's mm -hmm. that same idea of compacting society into this train and and even like if you look at like how trains have been used in in media before like trains are small areas like small cars and in the graphic novel they say it's like 1001 cars mm -hmm. uh, which i don't think the movie does as good of a job of showing that it's very condensed down to like the the very few but at the same time you see how that that class progression goes as they move further and further towards the engine it's it's i don't know visually speaking it's just so awesome I just recently read the graphic novel to get ready for this. I was never—I had no intentions of reading it, but to do this podcast, I was like, "Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and check it out." And <laughs> yeah, it's an entirely different product. I, I will, without going into that, I will say that I felt the graphic novel captured the claustrophobia 
of the mm-hmm. train way more than the movie did. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree with that. Will, what were your overall impressions of the movie? I mean, bring, I mean, uh, compare it to the comic if you, uh, if you like, but we're mostly talking about the movie. So just bring up the comic as, you know, it, uh, you know, as it's pertinent to uh, discussing the movie. Well, I first heard about, like Brian, I first heard about the movie through the internet, you know, the word of mouth, you know, the buzz surrounding it. Because I think I first heard about it on, I think, SlashFilm.com, you know, back in 2014 when it first came out. And, you know, they were talking about how great this movie was and, you know, good luck seeing it because it's it's barely going to be released in just a handful of theaters, you know. But then word of mouth and public outcry and that kind of thing, the Weinsteins decided to push it forward with like a video on demand release, you know. Because I was living where I was living at the time, Chattanooga, Tennessee. It was not going to come to that city. You know, I was not going to be able to see this movie until it, you know, came out in video or whatever. So they gave a day that was going to be out on 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 demand. I'm like, oh, I'll check it out. You know, so I rented it from iTunes. Wasn't I mean, of course, the cast I was totally familiar with, but I wasn't familiar with the subject matter, or the the filmmakers. I mean, I knew of um, the director. I'm gonna I'm totally gonna butcher his name, so I'm gonna try. <laughs> like he did the host. He did Mama. I haven't seen either one of those, but I've heard they're both really good. So I'm like, yeah, let's check it out. So I rented it from iTunes, and then immediately after I finished renting it, I bought it because I was just I was blown away. To me, it's good, good sci-fi in that it it puts you mentally in a place to where you have to ask yourself, what would I do in this situation? And you don't always like the answers that you give yourself. You know, it's like you know, uh, spoiler alert, you know, for the movie, you know, there are people that have no choice in here to eat other people you know just to just out of pure survival you know and your first thought is oh gosh i would never do that but you don't know what you do unless you're in that situation you know you know the protein bars you know when you find out they're just re you know recycled and re reused insects you know it's grotesque but at the same time it's kind of necessary you know because people have to stay alive but yet you as you further go up the train you realize oh wait it's not necessary because they've got full-on aquariums they're making sushi they've got food they've got hanging slabs of beef which you know further goes into the whole idea of, of class systems and separation based on wealth and and status and that kind of thing which once again sci-fi does so well of yeah. pointing out social things that we need to address and then layering a, a layer of sci-fi on top of it i loved it the uh, like the action, the way it was filmed and choreographed was very, very raw, very visceral. Just it was just just a spectacular, spectacular experience for me. I mean, of course, I didn't know anything about the comic. I never heard of this at all until you know I heard about it on the internet. So I didn't even know there was a comic until you know after I'd seen the movie. So you know, read the comic in preparation for this. You know, but the movie itself, man, I loved it. I, I watched it again in preparation for this. Uh, this podcast and it was probably like i don't know the 10th time i've seen it and it's it's not old yet and I, I think it's great <laughs> i i just uh as i i read the comic on monday and i watched the movie on tuesday just because i'm an incredibly linear person myself <laughs> so the comic came first so i was gonna read that first mm. but um, i uh this is something that completely went way past my radar uh when it first came out so i i believe i had heard of it probably from sam at some point because i remembered hearing something about the train that goes through in the world of snow or whatever but that was <laughs> all you know <laughs> right the, the concept well, was familiar to me um uh, but uh, i had never seen it anywhere 
So, uh, and I'm, <laughs> I have absolutely no idea if the comic ruined me or something. I, <laughs> I, I did not actually enjoy this movie. Wow. I wouldn't say it's the worst, you know, or anything like that, but I, I found the comic much more uh, compelling and interesting. Wow. About the <laughs> only thing that, you know, I mean, I, I had problems with the concept, but that's something I can easily sort of get beyond because I'm like, if you have a perpetual motion machine, uh, a stationary object would actually be easier to keep warm than like the strain, but that's a whole other. <laughs> if, if you have a perpetual motion machine, you can do whatever you want. Right, okay? exactly. So like the whole, <laughs> right. the whole like, concept, but that's fine. This is, that's the sci-fi, the fantasy of it. Like, you know, yeah. but just the, the, the train just keeps going in a circle and leave it at that. <laughs> but right. I liked that there was a lot more going on in the comic. There were a lot of factions there was a lot of different groups it seemed like the train was much more logical in the comic whereas for instance in the movie as they're progressing you know they're going through a lot of areas with not many people so i'm thinking oh some the people must know they're coming and are fleeing further forward so once they get to the front it's going to be like super packed with all the people fleeing from them it's like they never really see a whole lot of people or anything like going through and it's like where's you know how and like where's the beef come from for the frozen area and all that i don't know it was just it was really weird like to be like the whole progression of the train and how it was set up and uh it, but that's even that's a minor issue i just i completely disagree <laughs> directorially it was interesting there were some cool things like when it's the last cigarette and oh, yeah. you know they have they have the the, the the actors are doing the subtle thing of like they're all kind of inhaling because you know like it's like yeah it's a cigarette it's unpleasant but you know it's the last one it's something's new that they haven't smelled in forever you know and i really liked like that touch i liked that when they open the windows it's showing it from their point of view so it's unnaturally bright mm-hmm. you know and i thought that was a nice touch Sam shared uh, something with me before we started about the way that they're filming light, right and left, that, you know, left is good and right is bad, which is something I hadn't noticed while watching it, but, you know, that was part of that. And then Chris Evans' story, uh, the character whose name escapes oh. me at the moment. Curtis. Curtis. Yeah. Yeah, to me, that, uh, yeah, how Curtis' uh, story progresses and sort of dovetails into his explanation at the end of sort of his background and where he'd come from that i thought was really really worked well and was really powerful yeah one uh, a friend of mine actually because i was re-listening to um if you want to go on maniacal geek episode 12 (laughs) is actually where we talk about snowpiercer Ah. Um, uh, a friend of mine uh, named dieter uh he he mentioned that and we all kind of agree with this that the the beauty of the movie in some ways in terms of exposition is that it gives you just as much as you need to progress in the story but not everything so like when you start towards the beginning of the movie and curtis is being like told by john hurt's character gilliam that you know he's going to be his successor or something like that and he says he makes this statement he's like how can i how can i be a leader when Mm -hmm. i still have both my arms Mm -hmm. you know and that doesn't make any sense i mean you see a lot of people have limbs that are made out of like whatever ephemera is like lying around like gilliam's got like a a, like a umbrella (laughs) hilt for a hand or you know stick for a leg and that kind of stuff so then when you get to the the end of the movie when they've reached the the end of the line basically on the on the train by the engine and he says that you know uh he tells the whole story like that whole monologue that chris evans gives which i think is one of one of his like best performances you know um in film you know that he's done so far 
But, you know, when he starts mentioning, like, the eating, you know, eating babies and then that people, you know, that Gilliam was the first to, like, take his own arm off, basically, and, you know, and all that stuff. Like, it totally makes sense in terms of, like, what he says and then the explanation for it all the way up to that point. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and yeah. to that, to your point as well, Sam, what I liked about it as well is it doesn't give you the answers on a silver platter. You know, it doesn't it doesn't exposition you to death and say, here's exactly what's going on. You know, yeah. it, it, it lets you figure things out for yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. Like and you know, you were talking, Nathan, about the the, the last cigarette thing. I love that little subtlety on and I can't think of the lady's name. It was the African American lady that lost her son. Uh but Spencer. As, yeah, Octavia Spencer. Yeah. I mean as a former smoker I can see exactly what she was doing because she smelled it and she's like, "Oh, I want that cigarette so bad," you know. Because she was she was even licking her lips. It's like, "Oh, give it to me," you know. But it's just the little subtleties that that really set it apart. Tilda Swinton's performance. I mean, she was once again lost in that role. You know, you couldn't see Tilda Swinton at all. I mean, just fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That is one of those movies where every time you turned around, there it was someone. Oh, I know that actor. Who is that? Yeah, I know, I, I know. There were a lot of actors yeah. I recognized, even down to I was like, that's the guy who plays Zaz on Gotham, walking yeah. around at the end. I'm like, <laughs> it's like you have all these A-list like big stars, and then that guy's in there too, and you're like, okay. <laughs> but, I think. Uh, the movie made me care a lot more about the characters. I mean, it was entirely different characters, but made me right. care more about the protagonists mm-hmm. uh, than the the comic did. Oh, see, that, that's uh, an interesting point, because I, I actually didn't care about any of them. Um, <laughs> which I didn't really care about them in the comic either, but I just found the comic more, like, sort of interesting in a, in a detached sense. But, hmm. uh, like, this had a lot of uh, kind of strange things that happened in it that I didn't really understand that just seemed odd like when everybody just stops fighting to say happy new year and that seemed like really bizarre and then when it's like when they know a tunnel's coming and we've already seen them like punch people and disarm them it's like why don't you punch them and take their night vision goggles before you get in the tunnel and stuff like that there just seemed like a lot of really weird things like in how things progress in the story but then you can't have like the kid run the fire up to them it was so awesome it was awesome. <laughs> fire run like, <laughs> olympic torch passing <laughs> like Get you some of that. You know, I, I do think most of those, you know, idiots and uh, they, they could be explained away by the people. People are going to all be a little bit crazy. They've been oh, right, on and that train. is how they tried it. Yeah, at the very end when he gets up to Wilford and Wilford's like, well, everybody's insane. I mean, but even like um, at the end when it's, you know, all of a sudden all the, the rich people that they had passed on their way to the front all turn into zombies, basically, and just, like, come at them, like, in a lurching, you know, just kind of, like, zombie movie kind of way. I'm like, what, why is that happening? What does that even mean? (laughs) And why are they coming now instead of when they were in the car with them and they could have just just all jumped them right then? (laughs) Well, and and plus, you know, we have to, I mean, we've shown, we've all shown that we all have to have order in our lives, you know, and if this is the reality that you know, and a lot of people, they even pointed out, a lot of people, you know, their entire lives have been on this train. You have to create order in which, in the reality in which you know, Mm -hmm. you know, so you have to tell a passage of time somehow, you know, so I, I, that's where I got the whole, let's celebrate the new year because we reached a certain point on a bridge, you know, like the whole twisted kind of school car, you know, mm. their, their entire school, their education system is based around Wilfred, you know, because he is their savior. Essentially, he's the reason they're still alive, you know, so mm. it's a twisted reality and a twisted world in which they know, but that's the only world they know at this point. 
And I, I think that's an interesting way of doing it, uh, putting it as well, because um, if, if you look at the, the culture of the tail section, basically, is, is still, I mean, despite their circumstances, they're still relatively... I guess, quote unquote, normal people, you know, Yeah. right. Uh, how they, how they react to things or whatever. But it's once they move outside of the tail and they enter basically the, this new world of the, the upper class or the forward sections, it's the capital everything is so I thought it was a weird or an interesting dichotomy between the comic and the uh, movie that in the comic, it started out okay for the tail section, and then they sort of descended because they were kind of locked away in there and weren't allowed to move anywhere. And so because of that, then they started reverting to cannibalism once they had eaten all the cattle, because it was a cattle car in the mm-hmm. back, and originally they were fine. And, right. and this is the exact opposite. Originally, they were left to their own devices. They started eating each other, and then the protein bars came. Mm-hmm. Th- that actually speaks to another one of the things that I was thinking about while the movie was on, which was why are the people in the front taking the effort to feed them the protein bars when they contribute nothing to what the front? It's not like they're workers or anything that are, uh, you know, doing anything for them. Uh, other than every once in a while, they will take like one odd person to do like a specific task. If you keep them fed, they won't try to bum rush the front of the train. Well, yeah, but in the comic, they just let the last car go. And that's spoilers right. for anyone who hasn't read it. Sorry. In the movie, they're basically like it's it's about um, I think when Ed oh. Harris' character is like explaining the fact that they they've basically preserved humanity in in their own minds, like and humanity is made up of a system of classes, you know, to them. So they need the 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 lower class in the tail section not only because it kind of solidifies that caste you know that caste system or whatever that yeah. they have, but also that since the parts are breaking down, they're gonna need people who are expendable enough to stick in the engine yeah. right plus it keeps them under control you know mm-hmm. you you give them enough to to get them to survive you don't give them too much because then they'll want more but you give them enough to where they'll stay the cattle that you need them to be you know the the sheeple and they're good they'll they'll, they'll stay with their own yeah. mm-hmm. i mean if you look at it there are many many practical reasons I mean, it, it would seem yes you, you want to say oh there's absolutely no reason they don't do anything they're non-productive let's get rid of them but beyond that and there's an argument for that if you're in first class. But there are many practical reasons if you're thinking big picture that you would need to keep them around. It, just going in both – I don't know about the books, but probably the same with the book. But in the movie, you definitely got the impression that they, they, they were outnumbered. The front ends were outnumbered probably 10 or 20 or maybe even 100 to 1 sure. by, the, by the back end. So, I mean, it, it's obvious that even though they're living in comfort, living in luxury, the front – their first class is dying. And they're going to need genetic diversity. They're going to need – I mean, they, they're, they, the whole premise, the only way this world works that you go forward is if you believe someday that there's hope beyond the train, right? Someday it's mm-hmm. got to stop. Someday the world's got to melt. And they're going to need those people or those people's – the successive generations. That's why they had they could kill so many of them. They had a certain percentage they could kill you know, to keep everything operating efficiently. But they needed someone back there to for just for the future, basically. Right, because if you're up in the first class – you're you're totally you're probably provided for. You have no reason yep. to think there's anything else. But if you're in in back of the back, all you really have left is hope. So you you've got to have that to keep you going. It's it's interesting how the movie sets up the the kind of the the primary like motivation versus the comic because I mean in, in the comic it's 
and I don't know if this is just kind of indicative of how the French like to do their storytelling back in the day, but uh, it's it's just it's very you know pessimistic, very kind of like mm. nihilistic kind of storytelling. The 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 story itself kind of ends on this weird note where it just kind of jumps ahead and then ends. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's why I said, what am I reading? Because it made sense up until like the last two pages, where it's just like yeah. we just like jumped forward and it just kind of ends abruptly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, I mean, if you look at, like, the, the motivations of the character of Proloff, he really has none. Like, his motivation is, you know, he shows up at the the kind of the middle of the, the train just trying to get out because he has, he's just like, I don't want to be there anymore. There's no revolution. There's no mm-hmm. nothing. It's just a selfish, you know, interest to, to get out of a situation he doesn't like. And, right. and he's pushed into basically going forward because of the, the woman, um, Baloo, or Below, something, whatever the hell her name is, uh, Adeline. You know, the, I mean, she's she's much more the primary, you know, the, the main character than he is. And so in the movie, when they adapted it, it makes more sense that they would give, you know, at least the the main character who ends up being Curtis, you know, to some degree. He's not necessarily the hero, but he's the main character that giving him some kind of motivation to to be pushing forward, which is why they have the whole kid thing and. Well, mm-hmm. well, and to your point as well, in, in reading the book just a couple of days ago, to me it was more like a like a, a, a snapshot window into just life on this train, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then like like and then you know as you said, Nathan, the last couple of pages, you're like, what just happened? You know, hello, left field. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the movie, it was more like, here's our mission. You know, we have a clear goal, we have a clear directive, and you know, this is what we have to do because we've lived this way for so long and we're, you know, we're mad as hell and we're not going to take it anymore, you know? Whereas in the book, it was just like, okay, we're just kind of hanging around. I kind of wandered up here. Now we're going to go to jail for a while and blah, blah, blah. And it just seemed like it was just a general lack of direction for these characters. Well, yeah, my impression of the the thrust of the book is that, well, first of all, I did like in the book that it was showing that there was more than two levels of society. In the movie, yeah. it's very much like it's the back and the front and the front's pretty much a homogenous thing. In the book, in the in the book they talk about there's third class second class and first class as sure. well as the tail. So there's more. And, you know, it's the third class people who are kind of at the bottom end of the front anyway, who are the ones who are trying to, you know, have created this group that are trying to help the people in the tail and everything. And I kind of liked that. I liked that it wasn't just this sort of two, you know, very monolithic, you know, groups and that there was more of, a, you know, a transition between the two. You get much more of a sense of an economy like, going on. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, kind of the, the, the what I think the point of the book was more of just showing, like, even when humanity has been reduced to this small level of just the last few people, they're still all going to like squander their resources and fight each other until even that. Because at the begin, at the end, it's basically like everything's falling apart. You know, there's this disease that um, you know he might or might not have been the cause of. I have some theories about that. We're never really explained. Uh, you know, we're given an explanation entirely of what happened there, and uh, you know, we know that there's been uh, political maneuvering. We know people have been hoarding guns and all this other stuff. And he's even talking about how like he can't can't even see half the train anymore on the monitors and uh, it seems like you know the train is is basically going to, to to stop soon that what's left of humanity is going to end and that's sort of the thrust of it whereas this is more of a story of a mission of a goal that needs to be achieved i just felt like once we got to the end that i was like seriously what the guy wanted was for him and his daughter to escape alone into uh, a desolate wilderness even 
if everything had gone according to his original plan, they're they're just out in the snow alone with nothing. And it just seemed like, I mean, I guess if you just want to die, you know, just be die away from the train, you know, that makes sense. What were their alternatives? They were locked in perpetual sleep. You know, they were they were in a they were in a morgue basically. So yeah, I'll die. I'll choose a chance, a slim chance in the snow. Right. Over you know, <laughs> you're you're free at that point. Well, and and that's why I like the movie so much better because it had that that mission with so much hanging on the the outcome of the mission. You know, you've got the entirety of humanity on this train. You know, it all hinges on well sort of on the success of this mission and then you know you put uh curtis's character arc on top of it he's looking for redemption for all the crap he's had to go through in his life and it just made for a much more compelling story for me anyway well and it does he he succeeds in saving timmy which is good but at the end of the day the human race is basically extinct because even if uh, the the daughter the clairvoyant daughter survives with timmy the two of them are not going to be able to repopulate the world well, it, Curtis's mission wasn't to destroy the train. It was to liberate the tail. So, I mean, that was, it was just kind of a, oops, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, when, when Ed Harris's character explains it, like, the, it, was, it was basically like they planned for revolutions. It was part of population control and everything. And there's that point where even Gilliam, because he's, you know, you find out later that he's in on the whole thing, you know, tell Curtis we can, we can go back now. And then they keep going forward, which was not part of the plan. But then when he gets to Wilford or Willard or whatever the hell, and he's like, look, I'm going to need someone to to take over and, you know, and, and be where I am because I'm going to die. And so it, it really then becomes a like a separate hero's arc where Curtis basically has to decide whether or not he's going to be part of the system that has oppressed him and oppressed yeah. everyone else or if he's going to change everything if he's going to you know save the kid and you know stop the train basically which allows for timmy and uh yona to to basically get off and at least have some hope of a different type of life it's ambiguously left at the end i mean that's the whole it's not supposed to like for for as much as the movie is hitting you over the head with a lot of things like the the, the end is intentionally ambiguous i mean that ending was as french as the movie gets <laughs> I do at least feel that Curtis, his motivations, I felt were fairly solid. Where, uh, you know, because, I mean, I think that because of the experience that he had, he does kind of view anyone who isn't a child as kind of irredeemable anyway. And I think that that's part of the point. He didn't want to lead every. He keeps saying, I'm not the leader. I don't want to lead anybody. And I think it's because he saw that ugly side of everybody mm-hmm. when he, you know, when he saw that they were all feeding off of each other, you know, killing the weak and everything else. That's why the only person he actually loves and cares about are the, A, the kid, you know, the the one, Edgar, Ed, is that it? The, yeah. the kid he had under his wing? Yeah. And mm-hmm. then Gilliam, because he respects Gilliam. And of course, once Gilliam says, when you see Wilford, just kill him, don't let him speak, I knew right then that there was some collusion going on, because it's like, obviously Gilliam doesn't want Wilford to tell him something about Gilliam. But it all it all worked well, and I think that goes to Sam's point of of you know that the movie tells you as much as you need to know at the time and kind of sets things up very well as far as that goes. And uh, so so I like that you know he had just had you know one of his foundations knocked away with Gilliam. I don't think he really does care about humanity in general. He wanted his answer. You know, he keeps moving forward even after people are dying around him and everything. He's going to save Timmy. He made that promise. But basically, he's like, I want to know why my life has been this way, which is mm-hmm. what he says to him when he gets there. You know, what, what, what is the reasoning behind it? And 
you know, he gets his answer. And I think that's why he doesn't really care at the end if everybody else goes and, you know, the kid, the children basically get to live, uh, at least those two. So I, I did, I did, I think that his character was interesting. I didn't really care about anybody else. I, I think if you, it's worth noting something Sam said a little while ago. It made me go look because it didn't even occur to me. But I had to look it up. And the comic was written in 1982. Yeah. And that Ooh. explains so much about it. Reading it, it felt very much a product of the 80s. I, 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 even, even as I was reading it, I thought, huh, the president looks a lot like Reagan. Um, <laughs> yeah. And between that and just the whole French vibe, I definitely get that from it. And it's just, I think you can see the difference there. And just the, the fact that the comic was set during the Cold War, and it was the Cold War that wiped out the world. And in the movie, it's you know, a, a mis- malfunctioning cure for global warming, solution mm-hmm. for global warming that kills yeah. everyone. So that comes, and even in all of it, it, deal, it's, it really is relevant to the time that it's, it was written in, which is, again, as we've already mentioned, it's what science fiction does well. It cloaks relevant storylines in ludicrous you know, settings, like a train. But I kind of see what you're saying, Nathan. But at the same time, I, I don't know. I think for me, Curtis was the stand-in. He was the one who's who, he, he were the eye, he was the eyes we were looking through, and the way it was revealed. And up until the end, when we hear his story, I think all of us kind of wanted to be Curtis uh, to a little degree. Yeah, he's he's a, the reluctant hero. That's he's Captain America. Oh, for God's well, yeah, sake. no, no. And I, I think I think that's good that they pull that switch on you. That you think that the, he's this wonderful, virtuous leader, and yeah. really you kind of like it flips and turns on its head, and you're like, oh no, this that's not what he's about at all, and that's not what this has been. Mm-hmm. And yeah, for me, that's it's that last act up until then this was just a good decent sci-fi genre movie but then when he gets to the front when he gets to uh, willard and you hear his story and it, it enters that philosophical area that's when this one gets the movie gets knocked up a notch that's when it becomes something important when, and i like to like so because uh, the there was a video that you know that um nathan mentioned that i put up there which is about the how the use of direction um shows choice mm-hmm which the, the movie is very good at doing because you, when you have a straight line like a train, I mean, it's really, it's just a playground for playing with, with choice without having to like put it out there like an exposition. And one of the, the, the best moment for that truly, I feel, is when they're in the engine and he makes that choice to save Timmy by shoving his arm into the gears. Mm. and Because that kind of rolls back to the whole like, I still have two arms idea where he's mm. like, I'm not a leader. Like when he does that, it's like a symbolic take basically like he symbolically embraces that leadership role at that last minute and i think that's what really motivates him to to save the kid because if he if he wasn't going to save the kid he just you know that the train would have just kept on a moving and there wouldn't have been the explosion that there was and well maybe there would have been but whatever (laughs) and yeah it's worth noting that just because we only saw those two survive it doesn't mean there weren't other survivors somewhere sure. on the train. You know, there was a lot of people on board. Yeah, I mean, it, it did look like an Amtrak wreck, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> there there might be some people left. And plus, when he made his way up to the to the engine and was talking to um, to Wilfred, he maintained, to me anyway, he maintained his moral compass and his his uh, his humanity because as he's clearing his conscience and 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 dumping all this through uh, through his monologue, I mean, there was just nothing but regret going on there in his performance, you know. So even though you know he's he's had this clear motivation to get up to the engine to make things better, I mean, I didn't I didn't really see him losing his humanity when he got to the front. I mean, he kept it. He was just cleansing himself of all the bad things that he was had no choice but to do in right. the past you know it's not like it's not like here's this leg presented to him and 
you know, I'm going to choose not to eat it because there's something else to eat. There was nothing else to do. You know, he was put in that, he was in that situation. And, you know, what else are you going to do? You have to survive. You well, know? he didn't have the strength. You know, he knew there was an alternative, was to cut off his own arm and eat it. But that was the thing he didn't have the strength to do. He even talks about even after he saw Gilliam do it, he wanted to do it. He tried to do it. There's scars, but he couldn't bring himself to do it. And it isn't until that moment when he thrusts his arm in to get Timmy that he finally has come to that level where that self-sacrifice and everything else that he can do this. You know, because he's, you know, he's going to be more than, it's more than about just him, and it's, you know, about saving someone else. Yeah, that's and, a resolution to his art. Yeah. And see, the, the funny part there is, while we all say, oh, I would be the hero, I would cut off my arm, I would do all this, I think I would be, just like Curtis, up to the end, except I still even then probably wouldn't, you know, put right. my arm to those gears. I would be like, oh, you're tempting me, devil. <laughs> and I'm gonna sign up. <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah, right. I mean the horror. I mean, yeah, I mean, no one can say what they would do in situations sure. that horrifying. I mean, no, I can't. I would do it. I would totally sell oh, out. Okay. <laughs> 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 I'll take the good life, you know. <laughs> no, I'm talking about. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm talking about back in the back when he's talking about the bad times and about murder. I mean, you know, we would all like to think that we wouldn't resort to something like that, but you know, it's it's one of those things that until you're starving to that degree and you see other people doing it, that's when you would really know whether or not it's something you're capable of doing. To, sure. to play the counter argument, there it could very well be that Gilliam was just. A clever, selfish bastard, even by back then. I mean, who's going to win in a fight, John Hurt or Chris Evans? Uh, so Gilliam could have thought, if I cut off my own arm, I lose my arm. If I don't, they're going to kill me and eat all of me. So it, it was kind of brilliant when you think <laughs> well, about it. Well, yeah, true. Right. <laughs> and from Curtis's point of view, you know, if if you're starving and hey, here's a foot, why don't you eat on this? And someone's already chopped it off. Blah blah blah. Or you can here's a here's a rusty, just nasty serrated knife. Why don't you cut off your own arm and eat it? Look, somebody's already cut off their own foot. Right. <laughs> I mean, there. Was, I mean, here it is, dude. You know, why would I want to cut off my arm when uh, there's an alternative here? You know, so that's just wasteful. Exactly. I mean, it's selfish, sure, but you know, I, I'd probably do the same thing. <laughs> and on the cannibalism note. <laughs> <laughs> can, can, we t- can we talk first? I, I know we're probably like way over time, but can we can we talk about the education car? Like okay. <laughs> that whole scene. It, it's so because I think that's that's the uh, pinnacle of how effed up everything gets. Like just yeah. From that was another the- actress I had to look up because I knew her. Oh, Allison Hill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, Scott I mean Pilgrim. just from like the the color scheme to the the indoctrination of the children to yeah, Allison Pill's performance. It's just like it's so ridiculous, so over the top, and yet so it just makes sense on on top of everything else. Yeah. The sacred engine. Oh my god! Right. <laughs> Which is a little bit more clever than Saint Loco. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Loco is unintentionally funny because Loco, of course, in Spanish means crazy. Yeah. See, that, that's the thing that that it's it's kind of bothers me both in the book and a little bit in the movie, but not as much because in the book there's a whole religion already like set up basically, mm. like, and we get the sense that they haven't been on the train for that long. I mean, right. if Proloff's character can still remember when they got on. And he seemed like he was still a fairly like young man at that point. 
Mm-hmm. 17 uh, years. That's uh, that's what they said in the book. Okay, so, so yeah, so there's still enough people that remember, you know, when it when it was uh, when it wasn't a snow covered world. So I don't know if 17 years is enough time for an entire religion to have built that quickly. But yeah, no, I agree with you, Sam, because that was one of my problems as well. And I'm like, we haven't devolved to the point where the tech where the engine is now a mystical device rather than a technological one. But you know. <laughs> Under normal circumstances, I gr- I would agree, but let's not forget that in our normal world now, look at people like you know Kanye or whatever. I mean, there are people who are almost religious icons to other people, and they don't they're not trapped in a train with no- with nothing but desolation around them. So it's right. it's it's kind of like you think rational is again. It's one of those things where you don't know until you're in that situation. Well, you have to yeah. turn off your rationality. You like yeah. it, where we're at now, we have multiple religions to choose from. You know, if, if if you're on that train, there's nothing else. You know, you are you are what they tell you you are. You know, and, and you are you are at the mercy of Wilfred and his sacred engine. Mm-hmm. And on that point, also as well, if you are on that train, you get on that train, and you're a devout X. Doesn't matter what, and you see the world end around you. That's going to throw you into a crisis. And so it, that you're right there. You're just pickings for some fanatic or cult to come along and scoop you up yeah i, I think they do a, be- a little bit better of a job in the movie like they because they they make mention of the idea that and I, I know that they bring this up in the book a few times too but i think the movie does a better job of getting it across that they re- that they really identify wilford as the whole world like when these like in the whole wide train you know the, the timmy or whatever and mm-hmm. yeah. so the way that they talk about the train makes more sense in terms of kind of the fanatical following that these people have. Whereas in the book, it's I think it's more conducive of the compactness of uh, of people just living, you know, so in such close quarters that this thing just kind of springs out of just regular insanity. And you know, Wilford uh, Willard removing himself, he created that mystery. He creates that mystique around him. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the train is the new world, and the and the world, you know, the the rest is the old world. And so mm-hmm. it is like they have transitioned to another, you know, existence, yeah. you know, within yeah. the train yeah. with well, a it messiah. It, it's interesting though, because in the book, the train and the engine are referred to as a woman. So it's mm-hmm. Olga, uh, mm-hmm. and the train is referred to as the mother because you know it, it's like it's their whole world. It's you know life giver, all that kind of stuff. Whereas in the movie, it's much more of a masculine. They, I mean, the train is called Wilford for for crying out loud. So uh, it, I I don't know if that means anything really, but it, it just it it was noticeable to me that they switched from a more mother centric to a more father centric. I that's probably just a French thing versus. Um, Versus English thing. English. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that could be. Mm. Can anyone explain to me what was up with the guy who was with the security guards, but he didn't have the same uniform? He was shooting his own people, and then oh. he was like, at the end, he was like immortal and couldn't die. Did, did, Blondie. Yeah. Blondie. Like, what was up with this? Anyone have any clue what was up there? Because that guy just like completely puzzled me. They killed his nope. lover. It was just revenge. They killed the person he loved, and he was he, it, all he was, cared about at that point was killing Curtis. Who, who yep. was the person he loved? The uh, guy with the, like the shoulder length hair and the yeah, beard. the Ron Moore look like yeah. Oh. Okay. On the in, the in the scene with the axes and the night vision and the torches, um, I think Curtis killed him. Yeah, oh. yeah, because he had uh, Edgar, didn't he? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was the guy who killed Edgar. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't see how we knew that that guy was in love with the other guy. 
I, I didn't get that part. <laughs> see, maybe how many times have you seen the movie? Once. Okay, see, I've seen it four times, I think. And after that first time, I kind of had that same question. It's like, wow, that what's up with Terminator? And so, right, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, knowing what I knew, the second viewing, you watch the body language between them, and they're you know leaning on each other, arms around each other, and because you know it going in you can see it maybe i can see how it could be missed if you weren't looking for it though oh okay yeah yeah they didn't make it that big of a deal of it you know it wasn't like the a plot but you know once once uh, ron moore goes down then you can you, you can tell that there was something there between the two of them oh, okay yeah because i mean i didn't I, I even though i recognized there were people in different uniforms like until he just is like this crazy killing machine you know i didn't really pay attention to that guy specifically or really like have any kind of like you know, interest in him. Significance. Yeah, yeah, I thought he was just like part of the security. And then once right. his uh, his lover got taken down, then it's on. You know, it's a personal vendetta at that point. Right. I figured yeah. that was just like an officer's uniform that he was wearing instead of just a grunt like the uh, like the crazy eighty eight. I call him. Uh. Yeah, but he, but he was awesome, man. Like that that scene where they're doing the big uh, the big circle to you know around the track, and mm-hmm. he Curtis are shooting at each other. That was great. Love it. <laughs> okay. The visual speaking, like outside the train, whenever they would kind of like cut out to there and just like the CGI, I thought was just really well done in terms of like making the visuals of a train going on a track with some snow around it, like really engaging. You know? Yeah. No, it especially when you see the the people out there in the snow when they're in the the, yeah. the car and they're like, oh, we're coming upon the 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 seven or whatever, and just like the mythology that gets built around these kinds of things because it's been years and years of going past the same spot, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and the little details there in the train as well, like when they're shooting at each other, when they're going around the circle, you know, the, you, the, he has to use a lot of bullets to get through the glass, you know, and it's something that you wouldn't think about, but does make totally sense. You know, you've got to have some, some thick glass to protect yourself against all that cold, you know, mm-hmm. but that was, that was a nice little touch, too. And I thought that was another, you, we talked about the cigarettes. Oh, how, oh, they ran out of cigarettes and, and it's just a subtle touch. I thought they did the same thing with the bullets, you know, where at first we think oh, they ran out of bullets. Well, that makes perfect sense of course they're going to run out of bullets sooner or later and it, it but you saw that throughout the entire movie of just the resources they were running out of and how they were improvising and sure a train that complicated with that much machinery i'm sure they could create they could make more bullets if they had to but even so i just thought it was a nice little touch uh, to call back to that earlier well, yeah i mean i i was reading someone else's critique of the movie and i thought some of his points were invalid and that was one of them that i thought was invalid because there are all sorts of reasons why the you know probably like the lowest you know ranking soldiers didn't have bullets but that yeah. there were more bullets you know they would hoard the bullets and be like well if there's ever a real emergency then yeah. we crack out the bullets but otherwise we'll just use the guns themselves to you know because that should be enough well, you know, deterrent. And I didn't look at it as as rank of soldier. I just looked at it more as a situational type thing because they had already established that they had complete control over the tail section, you know, population. So why even bother loading a gun when all you have to go in there with to control them is just your presence and the the impression that you're going to shoot them. There's no point. You know, you've already got them under your control. So why bother? Mm-hmm. And. It, it's, there's also again this goes back to the kind of the caste system and the hierarchy in the train it, you're running out of bullets and they don't necessarily need the bullets to control the tail so you keep the bullets in first class because sooner or later you know the middle might decide to rise up and you right. don't want them having bullets so, so yeah it, it kind of works and i do think the the comic 
kind of hinted at the political structure, and I think this also goes to being uh, a creation of the 80s. The comics had like a, a, a civilian government and a military, mm-hmm. a separate military, and yeah. and these this caste systems. And they hint, Proloff hints at a conspiracy that that the makers of the train knew that this was going to happen, and so mm-hmm. the train was designed solely to protect the political elite and so forth. Mm. Whereas uh, the movie kind of just says, "Hey, these are just the lucky ones that happened to have tickets at the time, or you know, just made it made it on just in time." So there are differences in that respect, but I think the the movie seems more truer to human nature and what's going to happen uh, that these layers are going to be stripped away than the book. Right, right, because Wilfred was. The capitalist who happened to seize his opportunity when the opportunity presented itself. You know, because the, the movie goes into detail about how he created the train before everything went south, you know, as yeah. just as an expansion of his of his empire, his, his, his conglomerate or whatever. And then everything went south with the with the, the Ice Age. And, oh, look, I just happen to have this train here. Let's get on board, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I'm in, it's my train. Remember that. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm in charge. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I run the engine. <laughs> and I will take the children. Yes. <laughs> Although I want to know what happens once they get they grow out of those precise measurements, because you know they had to be exactly so high. So it's like, hey, they're kids. So like in a month or two, you know, they're gonna be taller than that. And so it would seem like he would have to take children at a far more rapid rate where they would notice, rather than yeah. just like, hey, out of the blue, he just took you know a couple of kids. Uh, first off, reason. if you don't feed them, you can get twice as long out of them. They that's won't grow as fast. Really <laughs> <laughs> well, Come on, what, Nathan. <laughs> that's another reason why you need the uh, the tail section is, you know, if yeah. you don't give them much to occupy their time, they gotta do something. <laughs> <you know? laughs> Just saying. Yeah. And that's true. And you're not gonna use the kids from first class. Yeah. Oh, of course not. No, no, no. <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> well, those kids wouldn't last a second down there. But to answer your question, what they did with them, I well, once you go into the engine, you don't come out. Let's put it that way. Except for scary, freaky assistant lady. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what's her story? She was just weird. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you could say that about just anybody uh, uh, after they get out of the tail section. Like, well, yeah, because I was about to say, <laughs> what, do you think, like, Tilda Swinton's character was normal? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, oh, no, not at all. But at least she had some good, some good dialogue and some good monologues where that other lady was just, just kind of creepy. Yeah, you did. Hat on your head, the shoe on your foot. I I knew where I stood with Tilda Swinton's character. Right, yeah. I loved when they were when they were having sushi. Like it's that one day out of the year where they can have sushi, and they make her eat the the protein uh, (laughs) gel. Yeah, Curtis almost like slaps her hand away. It's like no, no, not for you. Or they uh, they pose for the sketch, and the one armed guy puts his shoe on her head. Yeah, yes, (laughs) it was awesome. Yeah. All right, I think that we have uh, covered Snowpiercer fairly well. Uh, Will, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, final thoughts: See this movie if you're a fan of if you're a fan of of uh, thought provoking sci fi with great action. Check this out. And me personally, I definitely enjoyed the movie more than the book. But from a completed standpoint, not a bad idea to read the book to see where the uh, the movie came from. Sam, any final thoughts? Uh, I agree with everything that Will said. Um, <laughs> and and that also, uh, not only is Snowpiercer one of Chris Evans' you know, best performances, but I think it, it ties in nicely with when he did Sunshine uh, as well. So I would recommend actually watching both of those movies because they're both interesting sci-fi movies that make you think about stuff. 
We could have a whole conversation about sunshine. Oh my god, I love sunshine. <laughs> and, and you know, Sam, you you also kind of like Chris Evans when he's a little grungy looking, don't you? I do. I like scruffy looking uh, Chris Evans. Uh, I also like when he's playing uh, computer hackers in another graphic novel adaptation. So. <laughs> we'll get there. Oh yeah, <laughs> one day. Yeah. All right, Ryan, do you have any final thoughts about Snowpiercer? Well, um, yeah, I would obviously say as well, watch the movie. But if you're listening to this, I'm assuming you already have. And if you yeah. haven't, I'm so sorry for everything <laughs> spoiled. Right, um, yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I need it, to put a yeah. spoiler warning on the beginning. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, kudos for sticking it out for so long, but why? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just, do you love punishing yourself? I mean, you know. <laughs> but uh, I, I will say that this movie to this day still has a i think like a 95 percent rotten tomato score and it deserves it i do think the book does a few things better the the the, I, the concept of a disease makes perfect sense there this many people you know packed tightly together it's it's a foregone conclusion mm-hmm. and like i said it does capture the claustrophobia the panels are so tight with people back to back and having to turn sideways to get around each other it felt I, I felt my heart racing just looking at some of those panels. But all in all, I would recommend people see the movie. And as far as the book is concerned, yeah, read it if you want, but you don't have to. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, it's not key to understanding anything about the movie, because other than the basic concept, it, it really isn't the same. One thing I will bring up for the book, just because Ryan's commentary uh, just reminded me of it, there was a really interesting scene about how they wanted to do something nice for, I guess, oh. basically the closest thing they have to Gilliam uh, in the yeah. book, which was somebody that everybody in the tail section uh, uh, respected. And it was his birthday, so he said he just wanted space. And they gave him his space, you know, even though it was difficult because they were already packed way too tight. And then only to find out that he wanted his space so that he could you know, kill himself. Which was, I guess, probably the most, uh, you know, like, heartbreaking or emotional moment of, the, of that book, just to, like, sort of hit home how bad the conditions were there. Yeah. But, but it's also kind of like a glossed over scene as well. It's, it's interesting in how, like, it's, it's meant to impact the reader emotionally, but the characters in the story don't find it that way. Yeah. Like, they look at him, they're like, huh, he tricked us. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Shame to let yeah. him go to waste. You know? Yeah. There, there were several... Yeah, there there were several odd choices in that book. I thought it was weird when they're worried about, uh, you know, infection, that nobody's wearing anything over their mouth or anything yeah. like that. It's like, really? I mean, I realize that your resources are tight. You probably don't have, like, you know, uh, full, like, hazmat suits and everything. But, uh, you know, just a simple precaution of even if you don't have uh, an actual surgical mask, you know, just some, some piece of cloth over your mouth and nose to, you know, try to filter the air you're breathing, yeah. you know, to some degree. And to that matter, if it's really an enclosed system like it would have to be, they're just recycling that air. It's like an airplane. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. (laughs) But um, maybe their air filters are just really, really good, right? Yeah. (laughs) They've got a perpetual motion machine. They figured it out. Don't worry. That's true, yeah. Oh, I did like in the book that comment they made when they when they found the the vat that made the meat, and they're like, "Yeah, it kind of flinches every time we cut into it." Uh, uh, Although, and here's where I'm going to get to my theory about it. They talk about the smell in that scene, 
And then later they're in first class and there's the same line, like, what's that smell? And I think that the infection was through the meat rather than through the character because it, it seemed, it seemed, because I noticed that because I read the graphic novel on one sitting, not, you know, as a series of, because it seems like it was episodic in the way it was laid out. I think it was probably originally released as like just regular sized comic books. And. Oh. You know, uh, uh, I, I, my theory is that it had nothing to do with him because he never gets sick. His girlfriend never gets sick. You know, and while there are people with natural immunities and whatever, I, I just, it just seemed to me that that was the that someone because there was also the guard didn't guard the meat that night, and they had to wait outside that car until the morning. And they said the guard had been drugged up. Well, why did somebody drug up the guard? You know, so it just seemed like I, I like the fact that there were were ambiguities in the comic book, but that there were also like ways of putting together some of the pieces to sort of make meaning to just the the beerest hints that they gave you yeah the, the book is really like it's it's the whole like everything that can go wrong does go wrong in the matter of like two days basically on the right. screen <laughs> right um whereas at least with the movie it's more like okay this is just the last straw kind of bit <laughs> right. you know if you are a suspicious person the moment someone escapes the tail you know the shit hits the fan yeah i would blame perloff too you know right. <laughs> <laughs> yep I feel bad because obviously everyone else adored this movie and I watched it and I was just kind of like, huh, that was kind of (laughs) weird. Like even the scene where the guards just like take out a fish randomly and just like cut it. And I get that they're showing how sharp their weapons are, but still it just seems kind of like, what a weird way of doing that. (laughs) I don't know, for some reason, Korean director... French book, they, they, you can it comes through in a lot of places. There, oh, this is definitely a French thing, and and I, that fish knife thing. I don't know why, but I, I just thought that's Asian, that's Korean somehow, you know, or maybe that's just me. Okay. <laughs> well, plus, plus I saw that specifically as look what you could have. Really? Yeah, we've we've yeah. got fish, and you're stuck with protein bars, and they're nasty, and you know this fish is awesome. Oh, I thought they were just trying to show off how sharp their weapons were at the same time showing off how well how how sharp their weapons i thought it was just like an intimidation thing where it's just like we're gonna make you we're gonna gut you like this fish (laughs) right (laughs) there you go but yeah i mean it, it seemed like there there was like a lot of like really interesting direction you know the the sort of minimalist writing was really interesting but then there were things that just seemed like out of left field that like and it made it hard for me to i don't know identify to suspend my disbelief through the movie that just seemed so bizarre and so outlandish in its but yet also taking itself so seriously uh it definitely wasn't like a comedy or anything no more than the book though what what was more outlandish in the movie than in the book? Uh, well, the performances, which you don't really have in the book. Mm-hmm. You know, there were a lot of, like, Tilda Swinton's character, the teacher. A lot of those people were just so larger than life that it was just kind of like, if this isn't a comedy, you know, I mean, it just seems <laughs> like really, really bizarre. Uh, you know, the gutting the fish. You know, there were just lots of really weird things. Like, the, the, like, the guy who, like, can't die. I mean, even if you say, okay, his motivation is, you know, you killed his love, it's like he, he was dead, and then he just gets up randomly. Or, or the first-class people who just became zombies. <laughs> it's just like, why do they suddenly just decide to start lurching like zombies, and when they could have just... And why do they decide to attack them now? You know, it was just weird. <laughs> I just didn't understand it. I don't know, I feel like the, the movie does a good job of progressing you enough through the train that... Because if you can, first of all, accept the premise of a train 
you know, going around the world, you know, in the midst of basically snow <laughs> right, apocalypse, no. apocalypse. And then I feel like once you're introduced to the tail section, as they progress forward and you keep seeing like, you know, somewhat weirder and more like disturbing stuff, I feel like they do a good enough job of getting you to, once you get to the more minimalist, like, uh, and quiet of the engine. I don't know. I feel. I feel like they did a good job progressing you that you can accept pretty much anything that happens at that point. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, any weird or over the top behavior can easily be explained away by it's the end of the world. <laughs> it's laugh. Or cry. Right. It's I insanity. Mean. No, no, no. And I get it. I, I get it. It's just yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I felt that the pacing was very slow too. You know, I mean, there wasn't certainly a lot of action or anything. It just, uh, it was, you know, kind of introspective, I guess. There were bizarre choices, like how the Korean guy randomly speaks English sometimes, but then needs a translator other times, which I didn't really understand that either. And, you know, just, there was just a lot of, like, really weird stuff. I I don't know. Well, it's a weird movie. I I can't, but again, it's a train. (laughs) It's a train. I know, but I agree. (laughs) But but see, that's the, I always hate that kind of an argument because it's like, the physics of the world is one thing. The behavior of the people is a different one. And to equate the two, I think, is false. Because, I mean, yeah, if you're going to watch any science fiction or fantasy, you have to accept, you know, crazy physics, uh, you know, or, or rules of the world that don't exist. But I always believe that behavior should fit, you know, beha- you know how people behave. Behavior. I think that the behavior fits the world that's been constructed. Yes. yes. Yep. Behavior and with the uh, with the translator thing, I saw that more as a uh, an edit an editing choice based on. I the plot. wondered if that was the way. It was. Yeah, I mean, that that is something that I thought of too. That, you yeah, know, kind of like it, Universal translators in Star Trek. They don't actually show them working. They kind of right. just make it like it does work, and so you're right. automatically translating. Well, it's like it's like we have to move this plot forward, so we're not going to take the time to to sit and wait for the translation to happen on both sides of the coin. You know, we're going to get to the plot. But then, like, later on, when everything slows down and the train's about to explode, then, you know, you get you get back to the translation because you've got time to breathe and slow down a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that's what kind of made it more jarring for me is when it shows back up at the end. Because in the beginning, when it suddenly just kind of dropped away, I was like, oh, they're just trying to make it more fluid, like you said. But then they reintroduce it later, and it was kind of like, oh, that's weird then. Then why? But, yeah, I mean, I guess it was just because they felt like there was space to do it then. Yeah, I related to, uh, like, to Star Trek Six, you know, in the trial of Kirk and Bones, they established what the translators did, but you didn't need that constantly happening to understand that it was happening. Hmm. Or maybe he's just better at understanding English when he's high. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's really not speaking English at all. He's just muttering (laughs) things and and they interpret it as English. (laughs) He really doesn't know what he's saying. (laughs) He's got a psychic daughter after all. Come on. <laughs> but um yeah i mean it was certainly uh, it was certainly interesting i mean i can't say that it wasn't and uh you know i mean uh the the book i thought was fascinating too so you know i mean it's it's definitely an experience <laughs> <laughs> still nathan's way of saying like i really don't like it I don't yeah. care. <laughs> he's not gonna recommend it you know? <laughs> no <laughs> It's okay, Nathan. It's okay to have the wrong opinion. Well, well, this just seems so bizarre to me because, like, the reason, the whole reason that Sam and I, you know, I I coined the whole term that she's the bestie is because we usually like completely agree on all this stuff. You know, I have best friends where I don't agree with them all the time too, Nathan. It's not always about homogenous like thoughts. (laughs) No, I know. I just it just seems odd to me. (laughs) Well, 
I, I do wonder if it's because you read it first yeah. and then saw it later. I mean, this is the typical, the book was better. <laughs> I'm the curmudgeon. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it was only a day apart, <laughs> I did read the book first. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, um, you know, I mean, I still thought the book had a lot of strange moments, but uh, I, I just like that there was a lot more going on. But again, it's a movie, and I mean, you can't have complex, you know, multi-layered, you know, political machinations. I mean, that's more of a TV series kind of thing. Now, Snowpiercer, the TV series, maybe, you know, potentially. I would watch that. Yeah. 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 I'd watch it. Okay, Get all that sci-fi. Yeah. <laughs> Not sci-fi, Ryan. Why would you do that? Yes, yeah, sci-fi. They're good now. I'll defend sci-fi. <laughs> have you seen their most recent slate of TV? I mean, have they have the occasional crap like uh, this new Van Helsing? Ugh, but uh, that's coming out. They're, no. they're also but coming out with Dark- Krypton. <laughs> yeah, but they also have Expanse. They have Dark Matter, Killjoys, Magicians. When, the when, they, when they turn the logo back, when they turn the logo back, then we'll talk. <laughs> That'll happen when Pluto becomes a planet. Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm willing to give sci-fi a chance, not Sifi. <laughs> but uh, no, anyway. <laughs> no, I, it's one of those. I, I've heard people raving about some of the shows on sci-fi now. It's just one of those things I don't have the time. But I, I definitely yeah. do plan on giving some of those shows a try, just because people have been. Yeah. you know raving about them but uh anyway we're going very long here talking about snowpiercer <laughs> and talking about all kinds of other things because this is the podcast we just can't stay on topic <laughs> but i hope that uh everyone uh you know uh, enjoyed our discussion here of snowpiercer um I would like to thank everyone who's been on uh today uh it was uh certainly a interesting discussion and you know, now I feel like I need to watch Snowpiercer again just to see, you know, if I notice more the second time around and if I get more out of it. It definitely it. benefits from multiple viewings. Yeah. I don't I don't think it would be a terrible waste of your time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could watch BVS, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan just cursed the podcast. Will, don't even bother talking now. Don't mention her name. You don't want to get through. No, they called the engine Martha. <laughs> 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 and Batman just like swings through a window. Why do you have that name? What does it mean? Why did you name it Martha? <laughs> Justice League is totally going to be based on a train now. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, on the train of justice. <laughs> oh my god! I would love it if the Legion of Doom was on a train. <laughs> Lex Luthor addressing the Legion of Doom on the train. <laughs> Don't worry, I named it. I I know exactly what'll bring Batman down. I named it Martha. <laughs> Man, what's he gonna do when he finds out the Joker's real name is Martha? <laughs> <laughs> the Justice League train will be named Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's just all kinds of weird. All right, but anyway. Oh. All right, well, uh, <laughs> let's sign out now, because otherwise I think we're going to go all night. <laughs> Sam, why don't you say goodbye to everyone and let them know where they can find you online. Okay, uh, goodbye, Martha. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at darling underscore Sammy, S-A-M-M-Y. You can also go to maniacalgeek.com, where I tend to write things and post That Girl with the Curls podcast, which you can also find on iTunes, because I know nothing about consolidating brand. 
uh, yeah, and yeah, I don't know what's going to be up by that point. So uh, just enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> um, Will, uh, why don't you say goodbye to everyone and let them know where they can find you. Well, good night, Thomas. And uh, you can find <laughs> me on uh, Facebook and various episodes of this podcast. And Ryan, why don't you say goodbye to everyone and let them know where they can find you. I, who am I supposed to say goodnight to? <laughs> goodnight, Ralph. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. So, anyways, internet people, uh, you can find me doing fine podcasts like this, and you can find me on Twitter at Geek Stranger, and also check out uh, GeekStranger.com. By this time, I'm sure it's just going to be up and running and perfect with all my wittiness. There you go. You've locked yourself yeah. in there. <laughs> just <laughs> give me a date for when this one's going to be released. I do good under pressure. <laughs> I. Expected wittiness. <laughs> uh, although I do want to say, Ryan, that I, I don't appreciate you giving me grief for, you know, like how I word the sign-offs now, because you're the one that kept me from saying goodbye to the internet, because you kept saying, I'll never say goodbye to the internet. <laughs> but, <laughs> but anyway. That's so, where the cat videos are. Right. And the porn. Come on, you know. But, uh, but yeah, Ryan, Sam, Will, thank you so much for being on. It's always great to have you guys. Oh, who's thank your you. star next week? So there you have it. Another episode of the 42 cast successfully completed. So what did you think? Do you like our reviews of Snowpiercer? Uh, is there a particular comic book adaptation that you would like us to examine in a future episode? Let us know. There's all sorts of ways for you to do that. First, you can go to our webpage, which is 42cast.com, and you can leave a comment on any episode, including this one. Or you can email us at everything at 42cast.com. Or you can tweet to us on Twitter which you can do to at 42cast, or you can contact us on Facebook, which is www.facebook.com slash 42cast. Uh, you can even leave us reviews on Stitcher Radio and iTunes. One thing I will mention, if you like the Snowpiercer uh, episode today, I am going to link two articles in the show notes for the episode. Uh, one of them is the one that Sam sent me about the uh, directorial decisions in this movie. The other one is a review that I found helpful. I don't agree with everything that the reviewer says, but it does seem like he saw the movie through the same eyes that I did. So uh, I'm going to link that there as well. I also wanted to note that our contest for the topic for episode 13 is still up on the 42Cast Facebook page. Right now, there does seem to be a clear winner, but if you want to weigh in, uh, definitely go down there and uh, take a look at the topics that we're suggesting, and just let us know which one would be the one that you would like to see. Uh, right now, the one that is winning is winning only by one vote, so you could easily change things by placing your vote. So I look forward to unveiling that on episode 12. So that's now a wrap on this episode of the 42Cast. Join us back next week when Johnny Galecki will not be joining us. And until then, this is Nathan signing off. You've been listening to the 42Cast, copyright 2017. Got a question for the ultimate answer? Contact us at everything at 42cast.com. Theme music is Sharper Swords by Brandon Ellis. Check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com. Incidental music is provided with permission by Fur DK.
This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com.